Welcome to Now Church. For the latest updates, visit us at nowchurch.com, including live or on-demand video, online giving, and much more. And don't forget to follow Now Church on our social media platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And please use the hashtag NowChurch. Thank you, and enjoy today's service. We're in week four of a great series called Tsunami, Catching the Next Wave of Revival. You know, sometimes we think revival is one thing, uh, and really revival is, is so much more. We're going to talk about that today and talk about what God wants to do through revival. And so I hope you'll open your heart and let God speak to your heart today. Today's message is called Mighty Fortress, Mighty Fortress. We're going to begin with Psalm 29. I love uh, the message Bible says this, the voice of the Lord is over the waters, the God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord splinters the cedars of Lebanon, which were known as the hardest wood back in the Middle East for building. He also makes them, makes them also skip like a calf, Lebanon, Syrian, like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord divides the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple, in his house, everyone says, glory. Everybody say, glory. Glory. That's what the Bible says. God's voice, the word says, God's voice roars like the roaring of giant waves. His voice thunders over everything going on in the world and everything going on in your life and mine. In fact, in Mark chapter 4, when the disciples are stuck in a storm, many of you know the story, when Jesus rebukes the waves and the winds and the storms, the Bible says in verse 41, and the disciples feared exceedingly. They they weren't afraid of him. They They weren't terrified. It was reverential awe. They were all struck. The Bible says they all, they were all, they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the waves or the sea obey him? I want you to know that whatever happens, even the waves obey him. Finally, in the passage in Exodus 14, when the children of Israel leave and finally break through from leaving Egypt and their bondage of 400 years of increased slavery. When they reach the Red Sea, God does something there where they can't go forward. And then the people are tempted to go backward. All of a sudden, the Egyptian army with Pharaoh and all of its chariots and armies and weaponry begins to chase them down. And at that point, the Bible says, God tells Moses, look, tell the people to I want you to stretch out your hand over the sea and I want you to tell the people to go forward. Well, I preached on that many, many times. One of my favorite passages to preach. But this week, as I read that passage, it just kind of hit me a different way. You know, you ever been reading the Bible and suddenly something you never saw before? You might read it a hundred times or a thousand times, but it just lifts up off the page and hits you right in your heart. That's called revelation now. That's the illumination of the Holy Spirit. I look beyond the little passage where God tells Moses what to do, and I want to see, I just started looking at 
What happened? Exodus 14, 19 says this. And the angel of God, who went before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them. So the angel of the Lord was in front of them, between them and the Red Sea. And now he repositions himself between them and the Egyptians. I want you to see it. And the pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. God began to move and reposition from being in front of them, leading them to the obstacle and moving around and positioning himself between them and the enemy. Isn't that curious? Hadn't seen that before. So it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus, look, it was a cloud and darkness to the one, the Egyptians, and it gave light by night to the other. The same presence of God brought darkness to the enemy and brought clarity and protection and light to the people of God. Very important you get that. So that the one did not come near the other all that night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night. Everybody say all night long. All night, all night long. No, 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 we're not going to do that. Once you get started, you you can't slow down. Anyway, so, anyway, all night long, this thing happened and made the sea into dry land and the waters were divided. I want you to notice here that it didn't happen in an instant. It took all night long. It took the darkness In the darkness, God was still moving, and it took a while, and it took all night long. Verse 22, so the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Let's pray together one more time. God, would you open the eyes of our heart? We're here today as your people, Father, in desperate need of your word. You said that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Would you come and speak to our hearts today and change us in Jesus' name? Amen. I believe the angel of the Lord there was a pre-incarnate. This is before Jesus, but Jesus was Jesus before Jesus was Jesus. Don't tell him I said that. There's a pre-incarnate. There are encounters in the Old Testament before Jesus comes as a baby and is born with the pre-incarnation of Christ. And the Bible says that the pre-incarnation of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit will always be in unity and agreement. So that where one moves, Jesus, the Word, the living Word, The Word became flesh and lived among us. The Word and the Spirit will always move as one. Last week we talked about awakening the sleeping giant. It was a prophetic call to the church to wake up from her prayerless slumber and remove the blindness from her eyes. Proverbs 20, 19 from the message says this, if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. 
But when they attend, when they attend to what he reveals, they're most blessed. My friends, the craziness of 2020 still seems to have people on edge. Seems that every, every time you turn on the TV, they're giving the latest numbers of the COVID crisis, hearing different people that have gotten it. Thank God that it wasn't, it's not what they told us it was, my friends. The world will lie to you <clears throat> to keep you in bondage. And though I support the masks and I support the social distancing, do what you can do. Nobody wants to even get the flu, but the flu kills a lot more people than this thing does. Right now, the, the cure rate is almost 99%. That's not what they told us in March when they asked us for 15 days to sit down and shut up and stay home. And the enemy of your soul would love to take the life out of you by placing fear in you at every side. Even God's people, his own kids, his chosen people, his royal priesthood, his holy nation, his special ones, those that are called by God to proclaim the praises of him whom he set free out of darkness and brought into his marvelous light. We have been set aside. In fact, some didn't even consider the church to be essential. Some states and nations still don't. And yet the only thing standing between this world and the darkness that tries to consume it is the power of the Holy Spirit through his people, the church. And if you belong to Jesus, you have nothing to be afraid of. If you belong to Jesus, you have nothing to be afraid of. Thank you for that overwhelming response. I'll say it one more time. If Jesus is in your heart, if you belong to him, then you have nothing to fear. How do I know? Because I've already seen and experienced God's awesome, miraculous power so many times in the past 40 years I've been walking with him that I know, that I know, that I know he's still working. John 16, 33, Jesus said this from the message, I've told you all this so that trusting me, you will be unshakable and assured, deeply at peace, deeply at peace in this godless world you will continue to experience difficulties, but take heart. I love that phrase, take heart. That means you have to take courage. It's like it's out here. You have to take it. You have to take courage. Take heart. Jesus said, for I have conquered the world. This month we're preparing for revival. Revival, we said, is not just a, uh, a series of special meetings with a, an exciting evangelist coming from out of town. A lot of churches, they put a sign, oh, we got a revival, because that means they got a few special nights. No, revival, Winky Prattney, one of the great students of revival from New Zealand said this, revival is a divine invasion of society. It is God moving into the earth, God <clears throat> invading, God attacking the earth, God going after his people and connecting with them at their point of faith. Revival has different components and phases. It's a mighty wave and a mighty wind. And as we prepare, we have to understand it. Number one, revival is firstly for the church. That's the first phase of revival is this, this, this God taking that which has been dead or asleep in his own people and beginning to spark it, beginning to speak to it, 
beginning to meet you and meet me right where we are, right where we were in our own slumber. We, weren't, we didn't know we were asleep, but we were asleep. We didn't know we were, we were fading away, but we were fading away. We didn't know we had nodded off because we still loved him. But a revival begins to be this dusting off, this blowing off of the dust of the saved who become drowsy. Revival is the church hungering for God, beginning to see itself in its own real condition and repenting and returning to him. In its turning, revival softens the heart of the church, softens the heart of God's people, and they become softened and broken for the lost again. Where we got so focused, even in the beginning, I believe, of COVID on ourselves. What do we do? What do we do? Where do we get toilet paper? By the way, if you notice, there's another shortage now because everybody's in fear again. Every time you see shortage, remember this. God's economy is abundance. The enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I come to give you life and give it to you abundantly. The world's economy works through supply and demand, which works through fear. So where, you're in, where, where, where you get in fear, you begin to panic, and where you begin to panic, you begin to go after, and then the, 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 the demand goes up and the supply goes down and the prices go up. I haven't seen too many coupons for bounty paper towels in about seven or eight months. No specials. You see some on the aisle, you just grab them. Especially Publix, you can only buy one at a time, and that means one roll. If it's sitting there, you can't buy three rolls. You can buy a stack of six, but if you, you can find them. You got, you got one roll of paper towels. And they say, oh, sorry, that's your limit. Okay. Because everything works in the world through fear and shortage. Everything works with God through faith and abundance. Second part of revival, second component and phase of revival is awakening. Awakening is not just the awakening of the church. That happens in revival. It's the spreading of God's spark and God's fire into the world. Salvation of the lost and broken. Hearts are turned and lives are changed. Society is effective. Affected. Listen, historically, revivals produce breakthroughs in inventions, medicine, and cultural advancements. That's what happens for the last 2,000 years. And even in the Old Testament, when God starts messing with his world, interacting with his people, and his people begin to praise him and worship him and pray to him and cry out to him, every time God moves, there are signs and wonders in the awakening and the advancements of everything going on. I think we're beginning to see that. Beginning to see it. In the Welsh Revival around 1903-04, so many things happened in the Welsh Revival. By the way, it started with a group of teenagers having a prayer meeting that went into days and days of prayer. Young man, teenager named Evan Roberts began to lead people in prayer because he had such a burden for his nation in Wales, the western part of Great Britain. And as he began to seek God, God began to move. So many things happened in that awakening portion <clears throat> that it began to affect, listen to this, they didn't have to have prohibition in Wales like in America, we tried to outlaw drinking in 1920. Didn't work anyway. 
In Wales, bars started closing because of lack of interest. Soccer players, so many soccer players in Wales in the early 1900s got saved in that revival that they couldn't have their football matches, as they called them. They couldn't have soccer on Sundays because they wouldn't leave church. That's revival that goes into the number three part of revival I call reformation. It's about transformation. It's about changing society from its core. Reformation begins to impact the very fabric of society. Just before heaven comes down, all hell seems to break loose. Let me say that again. When when it's reformation, pardon me, when God is moving in reformation, just before all heaven comes down, all hell seems to break loose first. Because the enemy, the Bible says, comes with great wrath knowing his time is short. And sensing God is prophetically up to something, the enemy of your soul will come and try to steal, kill, and destroy so you miss it. Now, each phase of revival has its own level of resistance. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Your people are not your problem, right? People alone are not your problem, but principalities, powers, rulers of this present darkness, the Bible says spiritual wickedness in high places. When Daniel, in Daniel chapter 10, is in a 21-day fast praying before God, when the angel of the Lord shows up to him and says, hey, from the first day you started to pray, I was coming. From the first day you said, you, you called on God, I was moving here. Michael the archangel was the, the, angel, the archangel of spiritual warfare. He said, I was trying to make it through the second heavens. Third heaven is where God is. Second heaven is the cosmos. It's the, the sky, the, 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 the celestial area. God wants to move. But Daniel said, the principality of Persia, the the ruling principality over this nation resisted and fought with me. I've been trying to get to you for 21 days and I made it through because you kept praying. I made it through because of your words. I made it through because you kept persevering in prayer and trusting God. My friends, we can't be ignorant of the devil's devices. God is the creator and the devil's a counterfeiter. The enemy knows his time is short. He comes down with great wrath in the midst of the dark ages. Listen, for the first 500 years of Christianity, the church of Jesus kept growing and moving forward and affecting nations. Different disciples went to different parts of the world. Timothy went to India. Mark, the apostle John Mark, who wrote the book of Mark, he went to North Africa and brought great, great power into North Africa. In fact, a big part of the seat of the Christian faith uh, in the early days of the church, the first five years was in North Africa and then into Europe and then into, you know, Turkey and the Turkish Empire, Greece, Rome. All these areas began to experience the power of God. The problem is it became then religious. 500 years in, they exchanged the early church's dependence on the Holy Spirit and the power of God for a dependence on religious dogma, systems of men, rituals, ceremonies, and traditions. And instead of helping the people, they began to use the wealth that was coming in for the church to shake down the people to build great cathedrals, to, build, to, to have 
nice pointy hats and scepters for priests and popes and cardinals. They created a hierarchy that was created by men and not by God. And, the, and then the world went into, even if you, if you took humanities, you know, the world went into something called the dark ages. Why? Because the light of the world, the church, went dark. The light of the world, the church, bought into the lies of social things and social change and rejected God because the church of Jesus began to focus on fighting. And you had the Romans fighting the Greeks and the Greeks fighting the Turks and everybody fighting. Even the Christians began to fight each other over who was more Christian. And they began, to, they began to command people to give their lives to God, not in a real way, but say by a sword, hey, are you a Christian? Why? Because if you're not a Christian, I'm going to chop your head off. But yeah, I'm a Christian. And so the world became religious and dead until one man arrived on the scene, a chubby Catholic monk who was nearly struck by lightning one day, a law school student, <clears throat> wasn't a monk yet. He became a monk because one day he was struck by lightning and thought God was trying to kill him because he'd been taught by the Catholic church that he was going to, that, that God was a punisher, that God's wrath was ready to kill him. So when lightning struck right next to him, this man named Martin Luther began to cry out to a saint. Protect me, Saint Anne. Protect me. Made a deal. If you'll protect me, don't let God kill me. I'll quit law school and become a priest. And he did. Much to the anger of his own father, left school, became a Catholic priest, there was only one problem. He hated God. He hated God because he kept saying, I can't believe you're so mean. I can't believe you're so, all I see is destruction, all I see is this. And the dark ages were so dark, Martin Luther just became fed up with it. He was trying, he went through all of the rituals, he went through all things, he went to a monastery for a long time. <clears throat> he questioned certain Catholic practices like he didn't like the, the sale of indulgences. He, he, the, the, in order to shake down the peasants of Europe and get more money for the gold cathedrals. And by the way, if you're a Catholic or you've been raised in a Catholic church, I'm not trying to offend you today. I'm trying to give you some history. If you're offended, it's because you don't know history. Martin Luther began to cry out to God, but all he found was more religion. And in this sale of indulgences, what he said was that they, were, they would tell people, they invented this thing the Pope did called purgatory. It's not in the scriptures. It's like a waiting room where you're waiting between heaven and hell for the decision. But if you give enough money, you can buy your loved ones out of purgatory. It's a lie from the pit of hell, but it was the only way they could get people to give. And Martin Luther became so fed up with it one day because <clears throat> on a trip to Rome himself, he, brought, he had questions about the Catholic dogma. What's going on? Nobody would answer him. But they told him, hey, if you're concerned about your grandfather getting him out of purgatory, here's what you can do. There are these steps, these 26 steps in Rome. 
There were supposedly the steps that Jesus walked up to go to Golgotha, to the cross. Probably wasn't true, but it was supposedly that. Because in this dogma then, they would, say, they would, they would get you around all this mystical stuff. He gets you around the, 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 you know, Paul the Apostle's finger or, um, or, or, or Mary the mother of Jesus' breast milk. They had all these, different, all these different things. Oh, go visit here. Go visit there. You can see this. You can do that. Make sure you pay as you go. There was no power in it. And what you would do on these steps to the cross, you would climb up these steps on your knees, on your bare knees, and when you got to the top, supposedly there's a blessing for you. The blessing was bloody knees. The blessing was pain. The blessing was more self-infliction. And when, as Martin Luther got to the top, he heard something of still small voice go in one ear and out the other, but say this, the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith, Martin. By the time he got back down, he was so bloody, cleaned his knees, he forgot what, it was say, what was said. But a few weeks later, back at his monastery, by the way, he walked to and from, from Germany to Rome and back. He walked. It was part of his afflicting himself. As he got back to study, and read the scriptures in Latin, the only way people, only trained priests, very few people could read. They didn't know the word. They didn't know the power of the word. Martin came upon one verse, Romans 1.17. In fact, he came on a portion of a verse. The just shall live by faith. And he remembered that voice that spoke that word. And he began to challenge the authorities of hell. And I'm telling you, all hell broke loose against this one man. They tried to kill him. They put him on trial. They tried to remove him. They kidnapped him. They did everything to try to get rid of this man, but they couldn't get rid of him. As he nailed 95 questions called 95, the thesis, 95 thesis, he nailed them on the door of a church, a Catholic church. As a teacher in the seminary, he nailed these 95 questions and challenged the people. And it just so happened that they just so happened to have invented something called the movable type, printing press. And they needed something to start producing en masse. You know what they produced? The 95 questions of Martin Luther. And they went around to people and people began to learn to read in the German language and began to see that just shall live by faith and faith alone. This revelation came to the people, began to take the powers of religion and tradition and began to shake them. His revelation, salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. This one revelation shook Europe and is still shaking the world today. It became known as the Protestant Reformation. This was a cutting-edge revelation after a thousand years of darkness, one on which Luther stood firm, and even in his trial, he said, unless you can prove to me from the Scriptures only that it's not true, that the just shall live by faith alone, 
in Christ alone, by grace alone, unless you can prove it to me from the scriptures, here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. In exile, after they tried to kidnap him, they, the government actually went and rescued him and put him in a monastery. He changed his name from Martin Luther to George. I have no idea why, George. Changed his name, drew a long beard, began to live in exile, and he decided since there's nothing to do in the monastery, I'll just translate the whole Bible into German where everybody can read it. And we can teach people to read in German because Latin was dead language. A couple more things you need to know. His revelation brought about such spiritual warfare and oppression against him. That between 1527 and 1529, in the height of spiritual battle for the soul of Germany, Europe, and the world, he wrote a hymn still popular to this day called A Mighty Fortress is Our God. A bulwark, a wall never failing. The third verse of this, the first verse, he talks about overcoming the enemy. The second verse, he says, talks about the power of God. But the third verse, listen to this. It just hits me in 2020. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure. For lo, his doom is sure. One little word from God shall fail him. That still should be the shout and the declaration of God's church. All it takes is one word from God to take the devil out. In tough times, God's church arises into proper position with powerful songs and preaching of the word. And what is bad for the world is good for the church. Why? Because God's voice is over the waters. God's voice is over the waves. God's voice is over the winds. God's voice is over the circumstances. God's voice is over the storms. God's voice is majestic. God's voice cannot be quenched and it cannot be stopped. <clears throat> In the story of the Exodus of the children of Israel, after three days' journey, they run into a veritable ocean, the Red Sea. They get stuck there physically, spiritually, and emotionally. The Egyptian army in hot pursuit on one side, an insurmountable obstacle on the other. And God says, tell my people to go forward. What? How can we go forward, God? How can we do it? What we don't see for a couple of verses in Exodus 14 is what I showed you this morning is what God does. When you think he's not moving, when you think he's not working, he's repositioning his word and his spirit from being in front of you to lead you the way to being behind you to cover your butt. Being behind you to cover your backside. The Bible says the Lord shall be your rear guard. It's another way of saying like the police say, I got your six. The military says, I got your six. I got, I've got behind you. I'm covering you. God is our covering. He's got your six. He's, that wall of God became complete darkness to the Egyptians on one side, but it came a light to the people of God on the other. 
If something looks bad to the world, it's probably good for the people of God. Romans 5.20 from the Amplified says this, but where sin increased and abounded, grace, God's unmerited favor, has surpassed it and increased the more and superabounded. My friends, at the Red Sea, God revealed a tsunami that obeyed his voice. The tsunami became a corridor of the Lord to transport his people from one season to another, from bondage to real freedom. And only then would the tsunami crash upon the enemies of God. The Bible says it this way, those who dig a pit for you will fall into it themselves. And if you want to go, actually another part I read in the scripture in the story in Exodus 14 and 15, that's really interesting, is I always thought that the, the last time, the, the last of the almost 3 million Jews that got across the Red Sea, when they got on the other side and the Egyptians began to follow them, I thought there was a crash right there and the tsunami caved in on the enemy. That's not what happened. I didn't realize it. Read the scripture. The Bible says that the, as the Egyptians came through the Red Sea, they got up to the other side and God began knocking their wheels off their chariots. And he began, you ever, you ever heard somebody say, they use the expression, uh, the, the, the wheels were coming off. <clears throat> Read the scripture. The wheels start coming off the enemy's plan. One by one, little by little, the horses begin to fall, the wagons begin to fall, and the Bible says the Egyptians realize, wait a minute, God is fighting for them. And the Bible says they took off, exit, stage left, trying to get back to, back to Egypt as fast as they could. They didn't get swallowed up yet. They got swallowed up not on the way through, but on the way back. When God showed up and fought for his people, read the scripture. When God showed up and fought for his people, they realized it and they tried to escape. And at that point, the tsunami water wall that was standing up supernaturally all night God spoke a word and that wall let go. The tsunami that's gonna take out your enemy won't take you out. It for you will be a corridor. It'll be a wall of protection and guidance and strength. Jesus said he'll make a way where there is no way. His voice roars like the ocean. The New Testament, 1 Corinthians 10, compares this scene to water baptism. It is designed to leave and wash away the past. It is designed to remove even the ability or threat of your past to intimidate you. It couldn't just chase you and knock the wheels off. God wanted your past to be completely destroyed by the water, completely left in the water, completely left behind in the water so you would come up and rise up new and free and changed and different. And the enemy you see today, you shall see no more forever. That's the promise of God. Our God makes all things new. Fresh, clean, and filled with life. In order to make all things new, listen, sometimes God has to allow the enemy to overplay his hand. God will give him enough rope to hang himself. And it might take some time. But God always sets traps for the enemy. 
Because the enemy, the devil can't resist overplaying his hand. Even the waves obey his voice. Deliverance in this revival that's coming. Deliverance and healing will flow like waters being released from heaven to wash away the powers of darkness of your past, to bring you to wholeness and to give you a new confidence that God is with you. Don't be afraid in the dark. God is simply repositioning everything right now to get ready to break through, to show his glory so that you know and he knows that you know that he is God and he's the only one and he'll fight for you like a father would fight for their kids. God loves you and his mercy endures forever. But the Bible says when his mercy endures forever for you, that same side of mercy of God for you will bring destruction to the powers and plans of hell that they have planned to trap you with. If right now you feel like the enemy's gotten a little bit close, maybe you feel like you all this pressure, all this junk going on, Oh, I don't, I can't, I just can't. I've had people tell me, I can't sleep like I slept. I'm just not sleeping well. Well, then you're not understanding who your heavenly father is and how much he loves you and how much he hates the enemy. Would you bow your head and close your eyes today? Because it's time to be in awe of him. Our God is a mighty fortress. Our God is a wall of protection, a wall of love. I don't know at what area of your life the enemy of your soul may be nipping at your heels. Maybe it's family strife, financial lack, fear of the future, fear of death. But I know this, what the enemy means to take you out, God has set to take you over. Your pain will become your platform. Your pain will become your platform, your stage for the next season of your future. Now, Father, in the name of Jesus, we take authority over every demonic force, every lie from the pit of hell, every lie against marriages, every lie against our young people in their identity. Father, we declare the word of the Lord today that the enemy that they see today, it is your will that they see again no more forever. You said when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard or even a tsunami against him. Holy Spirit, draw people to your mercy. Draw your people today to your love, to your power, to your fatherly protection. In Jesus' name. Just keep your head bowed there for a moment. Think about what we've talked about today. 
if the warfare is intensified, it's because God is going to another level of the depth and the power of his transformation that he wants to do. It's the only reason. You say, Pastor, I'm going through it. You don't even know. I feel like I'm dying inside. So upset. It's been depressed. Confused. Scared. That's no way to live, my friends. I can understand why the world lives that way. Because they don't have hope. But you... You, the people of God, take heart. Take heart. If you're here today, say, Pastor, pray for me. Just going through something so tough in my life. And I don't want anybody to know about it. I'm ashamed or I'm embarrassed or I don't know. I, I just don't, I just don't want anybody to know. Would you just listen right now? That's why we have everybody close their eyes. Everybody bow their heads and just have a moment where you have a private moment of contemplation of what this word means to you today. And whether you're in the room or part of our online campus, this word is for you. But here's the thing, faith responds. Faith doesn't just sit and go, hmm, and mentally ascend to the thought. Okay, good, I philosophically agree with what Pastor Richard said today. No, philosophical agreement is not what we're after because it still limits God and keeps him out of your heart. What we're asking you to do is have a welcome party for God, for Jesus, for your heavenly father, for the power of his spirit that you would throw open the doors of your heart and life and you would welcome him in. If you're here today, and you're struggling, be honest about it, but you say, I want God's help. I need God's help. If this God is as powerful as you say, Pastor, then I need that. I want you to lift your hand up right now, whether you're at home or in the room, and say, I need you, God. Put your hand up and just tell God, just say, Jesus, I need you. Your prayer doesn't have to be eloquent. It doesn't have to be religious. In fact, it shouldn't be. It's just gotta be, help me. Jesus, come into my life. Change me from the inside out. I need a miracle. I need you. Father, I pray for every person whose hand is raised, every person whose heart is open, every person in this room who is declaring you as the Lord over their lives and situations today. And I ask you, Lord, that the pressure and the oppression, that the enemy that they have seen and felt today would be washed away by the blood of Jesus and by the water of the Holy Spirit. Lord, cleanse the past. Make all things new according to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You receive that today? Everybody say this with me. Just say all things become new because of Jesus in my life. You believe that? If you believe, give him a hand clap right now. Just honor the Lord with your, with your life. Thanks for joining us at Now Church. For the latest updates, visit us at nowchurch.com, including live or on-demand video, online giving, and much more. 
And don't forget to follow Now Church on our social media platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thank you.